What a glorious day that will be when he returns. Amen. I pray that you are ready. I pray that you're prepared. And many may ask, how do I prepare for something when I don't know it's going to happen? Uh, we don't know when his second coming will be. We don't know when he's going to return. We don't know when we're going to go home to be with him. So how do we prepare for something like that? Well, we take advantage of the opportunity we have right now. And he's given you breath in your lungs unto repentance if you don't know Christ. He is calling you to repentance, to trust in Christ, to turn from your sin and to call out to him and believe he died on the cross for your sin, was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again on the third day. And anyone, I know you're thinking, there's no way he could save someone like me. His grace is overwhelming. And where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. There is no sin that cannot be conquered by the grace of Christ. And so if you don't know Christ this morning, we encourage you, we plead with you, we beg you uh, to trust in Christ today, to be ready for when that time comes, whether you will leave this world and go to be with him or whether he will return and you'll see his coming. Whatever it is that he decides, I pray that you are ready. Uh, this morning, uh, we are in week three of our four-week series, Step Out of the Boat, Step Out of Your Boat. And we've been talking now for a couple weeks about what that looks like and what that sounds like in our everyday lives. And we're using uh, an example in Scripture we're going to turn to in just a moment, kind of our key text for this series. We're going to turn back to that in just a moment. I know we've read it two weeks. We're going to read it a third week. And can you guys guess where we're going to start next week? In the same passage. This is our, this is our framework. Uh, and again, let me just reiterate. I am not saying from this passage that I believe that all of us can go out to the lake or the pond today and, and walk on water because, well, we are Christians, we're followers of Christ, and we have, quote, enough faith. That is not what we're drawing from this text. What we are drawing from this text is that in Christ, we can step out of the restrictions and the limitations that we have put around ourselves, the flesh has put around us, the world has put around us, step out of our boat onto the waves in the sense of stepping out of our comfort zone, out of our boat of pride, out of our boat of fear, whatever boat it is that you wrote down last week in your notes there, whatever it was for you, you're going to step out of that and step out into the storm because that's where Jesus is and you want to walk in the way that he's leading you so that others would come to know Christ and to grow in him. And so we're using this. Yes, it's a literal story. Peter literally walked on water, but we're using this as an illustration to how Christ is calling us to step out of our boats and to step out into the storm and to step into where he's leading us. And so we're using this as an illustration. And again, could God, can God give someone the ability to walk on water? Of course he can. But I've heard people preach this sermon and go, and you too can walk on water. And they're being literal. That's, that's, listen, I don't want you to go out to the lake and try that today because then your family's going to be upset when you go down and no one's there to rescue you, okay? So I'm not saying that. Of course he can do that. But I'm not using this as a normal thing that God is doing. That's the point. This was a one-time thing. And by the way, nobody else ever has to walk on water again to prove that someone can do it in Jesus' name. It's recorded for us. I don't need to see someone walk on water to know Peter did it because the word of God records it for us. And so again, we're using this as an illustration, a way to communicate these truths. But I believe there's so much in this passage that will help us in our everyday Christian lives. And so if you would like to follow along in, in notes or for notes, you can go to our app, North Carolina BC in your app store. There is a section called Media then sermon notes, and you will find today's notes under there if you'd like to do that. Um, if you'd like a copy of my notes, I can just send those to you digitally, email, let me know. Whatever we can do as a church to help you in your walk with Christ, we want to do that. We want to make that easy for you. So whatever we can do, please let us know. Let's go to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 
14. Matthew chapter 14. And again, we're reading the passage we've read the last two weeks. And if you're here with us and you don't have a copy of God's word, either on your device or in print, in the seats around you, there are some Bibles. Please feel free to grab one of those. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, uh, you can actually just turn to page 683. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 683, and you're going to find our text for today. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 22. So thankful for God's word. Amen. Uh, It is the foundation of all that we believe and know as followers of Christ. Uh, We desperately need the word of God. And so I pray that as you're turning to Matthew 14, that you spend time daily in God's word. I pray that you have a routine. Maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's at night, maybe it's on your lunch break, whatever it is that you're consistently daily in God's word. I'm just going to encourage you on this. If the only time you open God's word is when you're sitting in here on a Sunday morning, you are missing out on the intimacy of what it is to be a follower of Christ. Are you saved in Christ? Of course. We're not saved and kept in in the salvation because we read the Bible enough. That's not how that works. We're saved because of Jesus Christ confessing our sins, repenting, turning from our sins, and trusting in him for salvation. But the intimacy, that growing, beautiful relationship we have with Christ, if we're not spending time in his word and in prayer, of course we're still saved because we're saved by Christ, not by works, But man, we're missing that beauty, that wonder of just spending time with him. And and what's amazing, this should even blow you away even more. He wants to spend time with you. Now, let's be real. Sometimes you don't want to spend time with you. You struggle to spend time with who you are sometimes and the way you can be and the way I can be. But God desperately wants to, to get to know you more. Not that he needs to know you, but you know what I mean, in a relationship. And so that you can also, by the way, get to know him more. And that's really where the value comes in. So Matthew chapter 14, let's look at verse 22. Again, we're going to read the whole text till verse 33. And then we'll kind of unpack this as we go. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And if you're not there yet, just hold your Bible open. A little past halfway, no one will know. They'll just think you're really good. Oh, he's already there. She's already in it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, and he sent the multitudes away. Now, I said this last week. I'll mention it again. Next week, we're going to dive into the other side. We're going to talk about that amazing point that Jesus makes there, but we'll move on today. Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, this has been a long day, by the way, tons of crowds, Tons of people. Multitudes literally just mean a, a innumerable group of people. It's just a large group of people. Could be hundreds, could be thousands. It's a large group constantly. I've always said it had to be so tiring, not only being Jesus, but being one of Jesus' disciples. It's just crowds constantly. It's kind of like Black Friday 24-7. It's just constant people everywhere. To the point when Jesus, if you know the story, Jesus is walking through the crowd. Remember the woman? that had the the hemorrhaging of the blood issue, and she reached up and she grabbed the hem of his garment, which in our men's Bible study, we were unpacking that last week in our devotional stuff, and it was amazing to kind of just dive into that a little bit. But it talked about the fact that if you remember the story, Jesus is going through the crowd, and this woman touches the hem of his garment, which most likely was more of a tassel, and Jesus stops and says, someone touched me. Who, Who touched me? And one of the disciples says what? Lord, everyone. 
they're just pressing in around, like you're in a, in, a, in a group just pressing in. They're all touching you. They're all bumping into you. Could you imagine that for three and a half years? Just constant people and crowds. This is why you realize when he fed the 5,000 and he says, hey, what are we going to do with all these people? They need bread. The disciples are like, they can go somewhere else and get bread. We just, we want to be done. Give us a break, right? Did they love the people? Of course, but we all get a little bit like, we just need a break, right? Anyone, you get kind of peopled out. Anyone get peopled out after you're with a crowd for too long and you want to just have a break, some downtime? Yeah, a couple people. Nobody, nobody has their hand raised. You're like, I don't, what do I do? Do I raise my hand? Is that okay? Can I do that in church? All right. It's okay. We'll get through it. If the people that were at the all-nighter are awake and listening, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. Some of them actually were, actually a few of them were at the chili cook-off too yesterday. So that's impressive. Goes on to say this. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone, this being Christ. So Jesus found it important to spend private time alone with the Father in prayer. As God, the God-man, Christ Jesus, he still felt, I need to spend time with my Father. So how much more do we need to spend time with the Father? But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Some believe could be three, four miles out from shore. Was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is between about 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. We talked about this in the first week. And if you missed any of our weeks, you can go back and watch them online or on the app. And what an amazing promise. Those three things. Don't be afraid. It is I. Take courage, take heart. That's the same idea. Take courage, have courage, take heart. So when we're in the midst of the storm, what can we do if we're in Christ? We can know we're not afraid because we have courage because he is with us. Goes on to say this in verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I'm so thankful that when we call on the name of the Lord today, he immediately saves us. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no window of time. You call on him, do six-week class, do some works, get baptized, give some tithe money, then he'll save you. No, you call on his name, he will save you. Verse 32, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning where we pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to your word as Pastor Keith prayed already, that we would desire to live in the practical reality of who you are. And Lord, forgive us where we've tried to turn you into something or someone you're not. We've doubted your goodness. We've doubted your grace. We say things like, I don't know if he's always going to be with me. We forget that you are who you are and you will never falter on one promise. Because you can never lie. 
And so thank you for being that God. Pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to your word today, to the application thereof, that we would leave this place different. Lord, I don't know what people come in here with today. Some are coming in after the greatest week of their life, joy after joy, praise after praise. Some are coming in heavy-hearted, full of burdens. Some are coming in with health problems. Some are coming in with relationship problems. Some are coming in with financial problems. Some have had the worst week. Some in this room are watching online or battling addictions that nobody else even knows about. And yet, Lord, you say, when we gather together as the body of Christ, you know each individual heart and exactly what they need. And by the working of your spirit, the word of God, you're meeting each one of those needs. And so I pray that we would be responsive to that. So whether we're joyful and praising, whether we're heavy-hearted and grieving, whether we're struggling with a sin issue, Lord, I pray that we would know that you love us just where we are, and yet you love us so much you won't leave us just where we are. We don't take your love and say, oh, God's okay with it. I'll just keep sinning. Do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But Lord, we do understand your love and grace is for us as we are right now. And then we, as surrendered followers of Christ, allow you to conform us to the image of Christ, to draw us out of those sins, to lead us in the way everlasting. And so, Lord, again, would you work in all of these things? Help us to look to you. And again, I pray if somebody doesn't know Christ, that this morning would be the day of salvation for them. Grow those that are in Christ. Challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, Lord, that we'd be different when we leave this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this passage this morning, again, we've unpacked it many times, but I want to spend our time today. Uh, we've talked about stepping out of the boat. We've talked about the different kinds of boats. We looked at last week, four boats that we need to step out of. But this morning, as I was reading through this passage, really a couple weeks ago, and, and kind of the Lord was leading in this series, I really felt led to speak to the lessons we learn from the boat. The lessons we learn from the boat. So what do I mean by that? Well, notice that the other disciples stayed in the boat. They didn't get out and walk on water in faith. They didn't cry out and say, we want to do that. Here's the other thing. Notice that as Peter starts taking steps of faith on the water, none of the other disciples, at least it's not recorded for us, went, hey, wait, I want to join you guys. Hey, it looks, like, by the way, some of us have faith like this, right? Lord, I know you're calling me to that, but as soon as somebody else steps out, then I'll step out. I'll believe once I see a little fruit from someone else's faith. And we all do this. We all struggle in this at times. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Jonathan and the armor bearer. All of Israel's hiding and they're scared and they're terrified. But Jonathan and his armor bearer just step out. And there's a line in that passage where the armor bearer doesn't so much put his faith in God. He puts his faith in the faith of Jonathan's faith in his God. See, Jonathan led by example, and the armor bearer followed and said, I, I'm going to follow you anywhere because I see your faith. And I believe that you believe, so therefore, I'm strengthened, and now I trust God. Also, that story goes on to say that as they're terrifying the Philistines, and as there's all of this chaos breaking out, and they're starting to run, the Philistines are running away, all these Israelite soldiers start coming out of their caves. Oh, yeah, 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 we got you. Yeah, what's up now? And they start chasing them off the land. Isn't it amazing? They stayed in the caves until they saw two men have the faith to say, we'll stand out, we'll step up, we'll go out, and we'll do it before we see any evidence other than just knowing God is with us. And so sometimes that happens. And, and it's not to demean that. Sometimes we need that little push. It's okay. 
But do you notice none of the other disciples went, well, wait a minute, if Peter can do it, I know Peter. I'm better than Peter. And you got to believe Andrew, his brother, was like, if Peter can do it, I can do it. I mean, I'm better than my brother, right? But they don't step out. They stay in the boat. Now, they're probably in amazement. By the way, just as Peter's never walked on water before, no one has seen anybody else walk on water before. So the disciples are sitting there just like, what am I, what am I seeing right now? So maybe they didn't step out because they were a little overwhelmed, a little in amazement. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. But either way, they stayed in the boat. We also must note in the passage that when Peter stumbled in his faith and Jesus rescued him, he calmed the storm when he got back in the boat. Jesus got in the boat with Peter and the winds ceased. And so again, we see this idea that there's, maybe there's some lessons we can learn from in the boat while we're watching others step out or before we get to that point of stepping out. What are some things that we can glean from this illustration Again, just using it as an illustration that would help us to understand this. Because, yes, we have talked for a couple weeks about stepping out and stepping out and stepping out. But if we're being honest, we're in different seasons of our journey. And some of us, we want to step out. We want to take that step of faith, but we're just, for whatever reason, we're just not there yet. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be there today, but you're just not there yet. And maybe you've thought, you know what, I should have stepped out of my boat 10 years ago, and I never did. I should have stepped out of my boat 20 years ago, and I never did. And now I've blown it. I've missed it all. Now, you know what? God called me to this when I was 16 or 18 or 20, and and I never did it. I never stepped out. I let fear win. I let other people's opinions win. I let them telling me I can't do it win. And now, 20 years later, 30 years later, I mean, what? I've wasted my life. I don't believe that's true. Because I don't believe there's any such thing as a wasted life if we're followers of Christ because God is in control. And so what are some lessons that we can learn from the boats? Well, the first thing we have to note, and again, this is in your notes if you'd like to follow along. The first lesson is his grace is present. His grace, the Lord's grace, is present. Verse 32 goes on to say this, And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. His grace is present. He got in the boat and he calmed the seas. Why did he calm the seas? Well, yes, to affirm his divinity, but also to ease the fears of the disciples. He showed them grace. They were fearful. They were tired. They were beaten. They were worn out. And Jesus shows them grace. He also shows them grace because he gets in the boat with them. You see, he calls Peter, and when he rescues him, he calls him to a a stronger, deeper faith. And yet he endures with the disciples in their lack of getting out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat and sinks. He says, hey, where's your faith? He gets in the boat. He doesn't go, hey, guys, where's your faith? He got out of the boat. But the same principle applies. I don't think it's a lesson just for Peter. I think it's a lesson for all followers of Christ. He rescues us and then calls us, as we've talked about, to a deeper faith. You see, he didn't abandon the disciples in their fear. He didn't abandon them. He didn't walk away from them in their doubts. He extended grace and called them to more. He extended grace and called them to more. Because as we grow in our trusting of the Lord, we grow in our dependence on the Lord. 
As we grow in our trusting of the Lord, we grow in our dependence on the Lord. The more we trust, the more we step out, the more we have to say, Lord, you're in control of this. I can't take care of this. The more we see that evidence in our lives, the more we're going to grow in our faith to take the next step and the next step and the next step. You see, I'm so thankful. I just heard this week, someone reached out to me and said, man, I've been listening to the series you've been doing and I'm stepping out of your boat. And they shared a personal example of how the Lord kind of was leading them to step out of a boat that was their specific boat. And again, we all have different ones, right? I love what Pastor Keith prayed that some of us are battling with the sins that are temptations to us and we can't wait for the day that's all taken away and it's just us and him in pure intimacy and yet we battle because we're in the flesh in this world in a fallen world. And so some of us, our boat is temptations and some of us, our boat is something altogether different. Well, this person reached out to me and said, I just want to let you know God is really challenging me to step out of a certain kind of boat. And I'm not sure, I, I don't think I can do it. In fact, I know I can't do it, but I'm asking for prayer that I'll be able to do this. That I'll be able to step out of that boat by his, for his glory, that he would be glorified. He, this person even said that my family would see this and they would begin to trust in Christ. I mean, the heart of this person was that God would be glorified in all of it. It wasn't that they can say, look what I did stepping out of my boat. It was, no, I can't. I need Jesus to get me out of this boat. And they actually followed up by saying, and I need the prayers of God's people to get me out of this boat. Well, then they, they made the choice to step out and to take some steps of faith. They even said, it's one of many steps I need to take, which I love that. We're all taking these little baby steps, right? We always think, oh, it's the big steps to make the big difference. No, it's the consistent little steps that lead to the big difference. It's the consistent little steps of faith that lead to the huge changes in our lives. Well, yesterday this person texted me and said, I just want to let you know, I stepped out. I trusted God in a moment where I was not comfortable. I was fearful and God got me through it. In this certain situation, they said, and you know what? God got me through it and I didn't have to get back in the boat. Now, here's the reality. As glorious as that is and as cool as it is to hear, we all know there's more boats. And we might get pulled back into another one and step out of that one. So that's why I want us to understand it's not about trying to be perfect at this thing. It's about growing in our trusting of the Lord. And why do we grow in that, in that relationship? Because it brings him glory. When this person texted me and said, man, all glory to God, this is what God did. That's awesome. That's why we're here, to reflect his glory. Not to build our kingdoms or our brand or our fame. What did we sing this morning? That your fame would go forth, that you would be glorified. You see, the more we recognize and express our need for his grace, we are displaying the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that we are the display, the artwork of his grace. The more you verbalize how desperately you need the grace of God, the more people around you are looking at a beautiful masterpiece in a gallery. It's just his grace on display. And they're not looking at the painting going, man, look at the colors of the paint. Look at how the the paint looks like this. They're looking at the author's name on the corner going, that's an amazing painter. And that's an artist. And the picture just reflects the majesty, the creative nature of the artist. And what an amazing thing to be used to reflect his grace. But we need to call out to him in the boat to say, Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I'm not ready to step out yet. 
I'm almost there. Maybe I'm going to be there. But while I'm in the boat, I'm just so thankful your grace doesn't leave me in my fear, in my doubt, in my unbelief. Remember the story in Mark where the father said, would you do this miracle, Jesus? And Jesus says, what, do you believe? And the man says one of the most honest, powerful things any man can say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did with that kind of faith? A miracle. This word of faith nonsense that says you got to speak it so many times and believe it to a certain degree and keep saying it over again. And if you just say it, words to power, blah, 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 nonsense, then it'll happen. And this man said, Lord, I don't have enough faith. And Jesus did a miracle. We don't have enough faith. So what are we doing? We're just saying, Lord, the little faith I have, would you grow that a little bit? Would you fan that flame a little bit? And when my, in my unbelief, would you be glorified? And he gives us grace. We also learn not only is his grace present, but his glory is revealed. And again, we've already talked about this a little bit. But verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. You see, when Jesus enters the boat and the wind ceased, the disciples worshipped him, praised him, honored him. They witnessed Christ walk on water give Peter the ability to walk on water and demonstrated that he is God over all creation within a few moments. You see, they were believing Colossians 1.16 before it was ever written, that all things were created by him and for him, for his glory, for his praise. I love when scripture is fulfilled before it's even written. And so what can we do in this moment? Well, we can realize that that we can glorify him in how we respond to these things and we worship him. We also must note in this passage, again, just in our culture today, so many people want to claim things that Jesus said or didn't say or did or didn't do, who he said he was versus who we've made him. We also must note that Jesus received their worship as the son of God. Don't let that slip by without noticing that. He didn't reject it because he wasn't the son of God. If he wasn't the son of God and a good teacher and a good prophet, he should reject that worship. If he's an angel and just an angel, as some proclaim, he should reject that worship. If he doesn't reject that worship, then he's not a good teacher, a good prophet, or a good angel. He's no different than Herod. In Acts, when Herod says, they say, oh, you're like God. He goes, yeah, I am kind of awesome. I am like God. And then God struck him with parasites and he died within a few days. That's Acts chapter 12, if you're curious. So here we see this amazing example of Jesus being worshipped and receiving worship and God being okay with this reception of worship. God is okay with it. If he was a good teacher and he received false worship, that's idolatry. He's not a good teacher. He's not a good prophet if he receives worship as the son of God, not as the son of God. And in fact, if Jesus claimed to be God as he did and was not the son of God, he either was lying or he was insane. So either way, if he's a good teacher but claiming to be the, word of, or the son of God and the word of God, and he's lying, that's not a good teacher. He's not a moral teacher. If he's claiming to be the son of God and he's insane, well, that's not a good prophet, a good person to follow. And do you see how when people say these things about Jesus, well, he was a good man, he was a good prophet, I respect Jesus. That's fine. Those aren't the things we need to do to get to heaven. Respect him. 
honor him. No, the things we need to do with Jesus to get to heaven is receive him as Lord and Savior, the Son of God, God himself, second part of the Trinity, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, slain for your sins, my sins, and apart from him, there's no hope of eternal life. You see, he received this worship. He was not a mere man, an angel or a man that demonstrated his, quote, divine spark. He is Christ. Progressive Christianity would tell you today, we all have a little bit of the Christ in us. Wording is very important when you listen to people teach. They don't say Christ, they say the Christ, implying that there's a little bit of the Christ in everyone. And as you are in your spiritual journey, you just discover that Jesus spark. Here's the reality. There's nothing good in you apart from Christ. And that only comes through salvation. Paul says, I am, I am wicked. There's no good in me. Jesus doesn't spark some divinity in us. No, Jesus graciously redeems us when we repent and turn of our sins and places his Holy Spirit in us. That draws us to produce fruit that's good for the Father, glorifying to him. You see, this is important to realize this recognizing of worship because, again, some claim that Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Some say it was all added later by the apostles just to build their case for Jesus being the Messiah. And yet, here we see an example of Jesus, again, not only claiming to be God, using the names of God, but receiving worship as God. Even his enemies took up stones to stone him and to, to kill him because he committed blasphemy, saying the name I am, which is the name of God. So again, we can't let this moment pass. This is Jesus receiving worship as God. So his glory is revealed. His grace is present. Third lesson we can learn from the boat is his plan is intact. His plan is intact. Now again, a little bit of a tease for next week, but verse 34. We didn't read it in our last couple of weeks, but verse 34. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. Now, we're going to pause there again. We'll pick up more of that next week. But his plan to get to the other side was fulfilled. In spite of their doubt, in spite of their fear, in spite of the storm, in spite of Peter's lack of faith and sinking, and the time it took to rescue him and get back in the boat, his plan is intact. So one of the lessons we learned from the boat is when we have doubts and fears as a follower of Christ, his plan remains intact. He is using the time in the boat. It is not wasted time. For the follower of Christ, there is no such thing as wasted time. Again, maybe some of you have thought, if only, if only they had called out before. If only I would have recognized what God was doing and stepped out. If only, maybe for the disciples, if only I would have called out before Peter called out, then I could have experienced that, but I missed it. Now what? I'm never going to get to experience what God has for me. Maybe you're beating yourself up for something you let go by, an opportunity. Maybe it's something simple. Maybe God laid on your heart to witness to a coworker, a family member or a friend, and you let it slip by. Maybe it's been years and you still hold on to that. Like, I just missed that opportunity. Here's the reality. Yes, we missed that chance, but there's more chances by God's grace. And he's giving you opportunities every single day. And by the way, 
if you miss that opportunity to share Christ with somebody, I, I promise you from God's word and experience, God laid that on someone else's heart. And there's a chance they went and did what they needed to do, which was to be obedient when you weren't. And I've shared this story before. It happened to me. God clearly, not audibly, I don't believe God speaks audibly. I believe he speaks through his word and by the unction of the Holy Spirit. And we have those feelings of being drawn to something, but I don't believe it's an audible voice we hear. But I clearly felt I need to go witness to this certain person. And I said, no, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe. They're, they look like they're intoxicated. They're not really wanted. This guy, some guy sitting on a bus stop. I'm not going to do that. I'm playing basketball with some friends. I don't want to take the time. And I'm not kidding you, within minutes of me, now I didn't stop and fold my hands and bow my head during the basketball game and go, Lord, no. By the way, we tell the Lord no often, and we do it in passing moments of every day. But it was just in that move. I said, I'm not doing that, just to myself. A few minutes goes by. My buddy David stopped playing basketball. I said, hey, I'll be right back. Can I go to the bathroom? Like, what are you doing? He takes off, runs across, sits down on the bus stop next to this guy, starts witnessing to him. I was like, what is happening right now? So he comes back, and he invited him to church the next night. So we, him and I together, went and picked him up for church. By the way, I missed one opportunity, but I had a chance to share Christ with him the next night. And I asked David, I said, what was that about? Like, what? And he goes, I don't know. I just felt this huge thing of the Spirit saying, you need to go witness to that person. I said, when? He's like, a minute before I felt I, the need, I went. So like I said, no, within minutes, God laid it on his heart to go, and he went. Now, I'm not saying... That that gives us an out. Well, I don't have to do it because God is going to do it. No, no, what I'm saying is God gives us this opportunity so that we would be involved in the process of him drawing someone to Christ and we get the blessing of doing that, having that privilege to share our faith that somebody else is coming to know Christ. Now, I don't know how God works all this out, but it's amazing to me that when we miss an opportunity, you can either have one of two options, beat yourself up for the missed opportunity. By the way, missing more opportunities, or you too say, Lord, I repent of that. Help me to have wisdom the next time and help me to step forward. You see, his plan is intact. While we may, again, miss an opportunity to model our faith in this life, those missed opportunities do not diminish God's ability to use it and us for his glory. I'll never forget that moment. I, I blew the opportunity, but God used it to instruct in me, do you want to be a part of what I'm doing or do you not? I'm so thankful for that lesson that I would never would have learned had I not said no. Does that mean I say no? Of course not. But this is how God works. He brings all things to good. You see, God is producing his eternal plan and everything is taken into consideration. Everything is taken into consideration. Yes, even our foolishness our sinfulness, our excuses, our lack of faith, our victories, our faithfulness, our desire to stay the course and run the race. We are given a great opportunity to be blessed, to be a part of his marvelous plan as his sons and daughters. He takes it all into consideration and then he uses every single one of us as he sees fit for his glory because it's his plan and he's doing amazing things. I read a book uh, within the last couple of years by a man named John Flavel. And I love what he says about the idea of what we're talking about really is God's providence. God's ability to take his plan, his all-wise plan, and implement it in a, in a wise way. That everything will work to his glory and for his purposes. He says this. Having given direction for the due management 
an important duty. Now, what he's referring to here is being an active follower of Christ, surrendering our lives and being in service to him, trusting his wisdom and plan. So he's saying, as we've been given this great opportunity to serve Christ, the Great Commission would be a great example to go and teach all nations to do missions work, whatever you want to think of it as, as we're living this life in Christ, we're given this opportunity. Here's what he says. What remains but that we now set our hearts to it, to the task at hand, and to make it the constant work of everyday thought or everyday throughout our lives. He says this, as we do that trusting in God, this is what he says. Oh, what peace, what pleasure, what stability, what holy courage and confidence would result from such an observation of providence as has been recommended. He says, man, what peace. What stability, what holy courage, how is it that we can go into all the world and preach the gospel? Because we have holy courage that God has said, if you do that, I will save some. Will all come to Christ? No. And to be honest with you, that breaks my heart. I wish all of creation would come to Christ. But people will choose their sin apart from God's grace. The rich young ruler, Jesus said, if you, nope, I like my wealth. But do you notice the grace of Christ to even talk to him? Jesus knew he was going to walk away. But isn't it gracious that God, even Christ, gives the opportunity to a man that he knew would walk away? And God is so good and so gracious and working this amazing plan. And we get to be a part of it. And it brings us courage to know if we go, he said, I am with you until the end of the world. You don't have to fear. We have holy courage, peace, stability. Man, do you know what our world is looking for nowadays? Stability. Something that's constant. By the way, you can't find that kind of constancy anywhere. Not in the world. Oh, but in my finances, nope, that can be taken away. In my relationships, that can be taken away. In my children, can be taken away. In my career, can be taken away. In your talent, in your gifts, in your intelligence can all be taken away. The only thing that is constant and will ever remain is God and our relationship with Christ. That's the stability. So it doesn't matter. His plan is intact. Again, this does not mean we live flippantly because God will, quote, work it all out. It means that we strive to keep our eyes fixed on him and trust that he is in control even when we fall short or fail. Last lesson I want to look at, and there's many, many more, but just the fourth lesson is our faith is strengthened. Our faith is strengthened. We grow deeper in our trust in the Lord, so when the opportunity arises, we can step out. Jesus loved using times in the boat to strengthen the faith of the disciples. Let me give you some examples. This started with requesting of Peter to, quote, cast out into the sea so that Jesus could teach the crowds. In that moment of obedience, Peter, along with James, John, and Andrew, experienced a powerful miracle of the great catch of fish, almost sinking his boat. It was followed, this, this moment was followed by Peter declaring that Christ was Lord and he was sinful. We see this in Luke 5, 1 through 11. Peter said, I'm a sinful man, O Lord, depart from me, recognizing the divinity, the holiness of Christ. Or when the storm was raging and the disciples were panicked with fear, and yet Jesus slept in the back of the boat. Luke 8, 22 through 25. And these are in the notes online as well. 
It was an opportunity to grow their faith that no matter the storm, the peace of Christ passes all understanding. And we read that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And what an amazing lessons, what amazing lessons that were learned in the boat. And by the way, Peter was involved in them. He saw Jesus do great works, power over creation. He saw him cease the winds. And so maybe that's why when the storm was raging and Jesus is walking, he said, well, I know you can cease the wind. You've done it before. I've always wondered if Peter thought, well, if I step out, the winds will cease because Jesus can do that. Sometimes we think when I step out, it'll all get easy. No, when we step out, sometimes the storm intensifies. Not because God is, is mean-spirited or trying to make it difficult, because we live in a fallen world. The Apostle Paul's life got a lot harder after he dedicated his life to Christ. He was a religious man, much respected, had all kinds of credentials and opportunities, speaking engagements. He was the man. He comes to Christ, he's shipwrecked, beaten, in prison, has to be snuck out of a city because they're trying to kill him. His, his life, the quality of life in the world's eyes went down, but in the eyes of Christ, it went up. Because that's really what we're living for, is to please him. You see, Jesus performed these miracles and many more for three key reasons. To bless those that received them, demonstrating his love for his creation, of course. He performed miracles to affirm his divinity as God, bringing glory to himself and the Father. But one of the key things that Jesus used miracles for was to grow the faith of the disciples. It was to strengthen the faith of the disciples. Notice that the Lord does these things in front of and with his disciples. And I believe it's to strengthen their faith in him. This is vital for the task that he is preparing them to endeavor, the founding and expansion of the church. Through all the persecutions, trials, and storms, they can rest in who Christ is because they knew firsthand that he was exactly who he declared himself to be. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So you and I, as we close, are tempted to have a thought cross our minds. Well, we might say, if I saw Jesus walk on water, then I would have strong faith too. If I could just see Jesus walk on water, then everything would be great. Yet it's not true, and we know it's not true. The reality is we have the complete word of God and still struggle to live practically that he is and was and is to come. But if I only saw, but you have it recorded for you, and so much more, the entire picture of the word of God is the plan that God is working to draw mankind into redemption, to restore what was lost in the garden, and to bring about that new creation that Paul talks about. Why? So that we are blessed and he is glorified. If you are in a boat feeling like the opportunity has passed you by, nothing could be farther from the truth. His grace, his plan, and his glory are all being displayed through his church. That means through you. So I want to encourage you. How can we step up and step out? And apply these lessons to our lives today. Have you been beating yourself up for a missed opportunity? Stop giving the flesh and the enemy victory in that moment. Surrender now to say, Lord, I know I missed this. Teach me what I can learn from that, that I would move forward and glorify you. If you believe his plan somehow is broken and, and been thwarted because of what you've done, stop believing a lie. He is doing what he is doing and you get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of it. And realize his grace is for you and with you. 
even in your fear, even in your doubt, even in your unbelief at times, in your questions. We all have questions. I feel sometimes the more I read the word of God, the more questions I have. And yet I'm so thankful that even in my lack of understanding, lack of faithfulness to his word, he is so gracious to us. And again, do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But I'm so thankful that when we fall short, as we all do, his grace is for you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. We're going to have a time of response, a time of invitation. And in just a moment, the praise team is going to lead us in a song of praise. And you're going to have an opportunity to either come forward, maybe in the front here, and just spend some time in prayer. Spending some time with the Lord, or or maybe there in your seats you want to spend some time with the Lord. But we're going to encourage you just for a moment to begin to pray. I'm just going to ask every single person to, to bow their heads and And begin to pray and and, and put aside any distractions. Set aside anything that might distract you. And just honestly begin to just spend time with the Lord. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, that means you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, but you believe you've missed and wasted some time. You've just blown it. And you think to yourself that God could never use me because of what I've done. Or you think somehow that time was wasted and God could never be glorified in any of that. I pray that you would know that he can take all things, all things. He's working all things to good. What is the good? To make us like Christ. So we bring our failures and our weaknesses. We bring our our victories and our successes and we lay it all before him and we submit to him and he begins to shape us and form us as that beautiful clay into a sculpture that reflects not our praise, not our glory, but the grace that is displayed to us. And the same grace that's available to anyone that would call upon the name of the Christ, name of Christ and be saved. And so if you're here today and you've been beating yourself up, would you surrender that to the Lord? Would you ask for wisdom in the next opportunity, the next chance? Would you be thankful for his grace that is with you, his plan that is intact? His glory has been and will be revealed through you as you just live your life for him and reflect him. And as a result, our faith will be strengthened that when we go through the storms of life, we're not left wondering, but we're holding steadfast onto Christ. Why? Because he's holding onto us. What a beautiful song that was saying to start to serve towards the beginning of service, that he holds us. When temptation comes and the enemy whispers his lies and all the things that come against us, we don't fear because we're held in his hand. And his hand can never be opened. So, Father, would you just work in all of this? Apply this as you see fit, Lord. I don't know what everyone's going through, but you do. I pray, Lord, that you've used these words. I know you've used your word. And I know it will not return void. So would you glorify your name through all of this? Draw those to salvation that need to be drawn to salvation. Strengthen our faith, Lord, to believe and to know that you are who you say you are. Thank you, Lord, that when we're in the boat, fearful to step out, full of doubts, questions, uncertainties, we want to, but we're just not sure. Thank you that you don't abandon us, but you get in the boat with us. And you calm the storm. And you use it to grow us, again, for your glory. And Lord, I know we say that a lot around here. 
and it's for your glory, and it's by your grace. But Lord, I pray that we'd realize that's the foundation of this Christian faith. May we never get tired of talking about and hearing about those things. So thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Glorify your name through all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're led in a song of invitation? Would you respond as the Lord leads? Would you come and pray either in the front here or there in your seats? Let's just respond to what God is doing. If you need to make a decision for Christ, make that choice today and watch him grow your faith as you step out, as we respond to what God is doing. Would you worship this morning?